This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Ponco Chicken. Ponco Chicken, if you did not already know, is a unique spin on Japanese and Western cuisine. Uh, there are stores, if you're not familiar, um, all around the Atlanta area. Uh, there's one in Marietta now. There's one in Buckhead. There's one in Shambly. There's one in uh, Midtown. They're popping up everywhere because Ponco is awesome and uh, they're like family. So um, go check out Ponco if you have not already. It is the home of the award-winning Japanese American Chicken Tender. Just to brag on them a little bit more, they were Verizon Super Bowl Live top-selling vendor, three-peat Taste of Atlanta award winner. Uh, Midtown Alliance Best Taste winner. Just they won all the awards because Ponco is great and Ponco is delicious. So if you are in the Atlanta area and are looking to try something new and good and delicious, go check out Ponco Chicken today and tell them that I sent you over. Uh, also, if you have not already, go check out chasemonspodcast.com. It's where all of my episodes to all of my podcasts are, all of my writing that I do, uh, more information on me and who I am um, and why you should be listening to this podcast and reading my work and all of that great stuff. Go do that. Go to Chase Thomas Podcast today. If you're an Apple podcast listener, go ahead and leave me five stars and a rating and a review. That's great. I need it. Um, it helps the show continue to grow and all of that good stuff. Um, you can listen on SoundCloud, Spotify, like I said, Apple, Google Play, everywhere where you can get your podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast will be there. So go do that today um all right i think that's everything we can get into today's episode uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back it's wednesday afternoon and one of the chase thomas podcast ogs is here yovan bua of the athletic uh enemy number one of the Los Angeles Clippers right now, which I don't agree with, folks. Don't agree with. I, I've got Yovan's back. Yovan, good afternoon. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. It's been uh, it's been a weird few days. Obviously, had some of the fallout with that story that I co-reported with Sam Amick, um, and then obviously, you know, the, the Kobe Bryant news, the the tragedy, uh, and that's kind of dominated just the entire NBA land landscape these these last few days uh so it's been it's been a weird five six days for sure yeah and i thought about whether or not i was going to get into kobe on this podcast but i just i feel like everybody's already gotten their thoughts out i don't really feel like i have any new interesting things to bring to the table with kobe a lot of the people that i want to listen to talk about him are the ones that actually know him like jerry west talking about the stories about him committing to the Clippers and everything last night and the Shaq stuff, that is more compelling and interesting to me than, than just like an outside observer's uh, opinion on 
uh, Kobe Bryant just because he's essentially a stranger uh, to me and to so many others uh, because I didn't know him. I, I just knew him as a basketball player. And I don't know. I just don't feel comfortable um, talking about it because I just don't really have much to say other than where he fits in NBA greats and things like that. But I just, I don't think this is the time to be talking about that kind of stuff. So I don't know. I just, I don't really think I have anything to add about Kobe right now, other than it was just obviously extremely sad and with Gigi and everything. And um, I don't know. It's all, it's all I have. Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's weird um, for me being an LA guy. Um you know, I, I got into basketball in, in 2000, and that was obviously the first year of the the three-peat. And, you know, my first basketball jersey was Kobe. My first basketball shoes were Kobe's. Um, so he, he was a pretty formative figure in my life. Um, you know, I, I think for pretty much anyone that was a basketball fan kind of growing up in that late 90s, early 2000s, since then he's obviously been like a larger than life figure but growing up in la it was different where he was kind of the michael jordan you know lebron james type figure um so yeah i mean i think it it definitely was kind of weird because you know my my fandom for him and and the team and you know i've i've talked about this a little bit but I, i did grow up rooting for the Lakers and the Clippers, um, which I know is kind of a crazy concept for some people. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of ended once I finished high school and went to college and started, you know, trying to professionally cover the NBA and starting to professionally cover the NBA in like my sophomore year, I kind of had to kill the fandom kind of had to kill, um, the, the, the rooting for stuff. And so I, I have felt like a lot of distance from him and, and the Lakers. And obviously I've, I've covered the Clippers more. Um, so, you know, I have more of a connection there, but it, it did hit me harder than um, I was anticipating. Like if you just kind of threw out the hypothetical of like, you know, how, how would you react to, to this? I, you know, I, I don't think I would have taken it as hard as I did. So I, I think overall, um, you know, I, I know Kobe is, is sometimes been a polarizing figure, controversial figure to say the least w- within the NBA kind of media world and, and people debating about him. And some people have him in their top three. Some people have him in like 15th, like he's kind of all over the place and you can get into heated debates about it and him versus LeBron and him versus Jordan and all that stuff. But um, I think what this really showed is just how big he actually was, right? Like, and I think, I, I just I think if you were if you were ranking NBA players in terms of just like global impact and and you know global interest and and just intrigue and and um, just overall all like celebrity stardom I mean he is right up there it's probably him Michael and LeBron like those are probably the three guys uh, um, and you know those are obviously newer guys so like guys like Magic or Bird didn't have the benefit of this, you know, social media era and, and all that stuff. And, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just think I, I w- I've been very like w- when I saw it leading, C- not, not only leading CNN, but being on CNN basically the entire day when you had world affairs stuff going on and that was taking a backseat to Kobe, that kind of solidified it to me of like, this guy was like a global 
megastar. Like it wasn't just a Lakers thing. It wasn't just an NBA thing. Like it really was, I mean, you, you have soccer players, you know, um, posting about him. You have the Philippines doing what they did uh, with the court and stuff. So I think that, that, that was kind of the, the part for me where it was really like, you know, I, kn- I knew Kobe was huge, obviously. Um, but I didn't, you know, it really was at that, like Michael Jackson, like princess Diana, like, you know, Prince like level, which I, I didn't necessarily view him as I viewed him probably a little bit below that, but the, the social outpour has been just insane. So, um, I think that that's kind of, you know, I didn't know him. I, you know, I've covered the Lakers for a few years. Well, you know, these last few seasons I was at his final game. I've been around him, uh, never had a conversation with him, but I did see him interacting with people, interacting with different journalists and stuff. Um, so I can't really speak to that part of it, but just in terms of impact, I've, I've been very um, sort of taken aback by by just how far-reaching his um, celebrity is. Yeah, and I think it's one of those where I'm surprised that I'll that it's going to be for me at least. I, I beforehand I wouldn't have uh, suspected this, but I think I'll always remember where I was when Kobe's news broke. So mm-hmm. Princess Diana, I remember obviously 9-11, there are just certain moments in time that for whatever reason stand out more than others. Um, and Kobe's going to be one of them. And Sam Harris was talking about this on his podcast this week. And um, I thought it was a pretty astute point in that um, I think part of the reason that Kobe's um, death was uh, so impactful and affected so many people was that it was just another reminder, painful reminder that it's like, Oh, this celebrity who was in his forties died in a freak accident. And it's just like, it reminds everybody else of how, um, how much you should appreciate every moment because even these people that seem impenetrable and, um, just aren't vulnerable to these types of situations actually are. And we are, we're all on the same page in that, in that aspect. So I, I thought that was interesting in that it just reminded a lot of people that like, Oh, this is crazy. This can happen to anyone and, um, tragedy can strike anyone. And it just reminds, um, everyday people that, uh, yeah, these, uh, this is something that's a possibility every day in your life. Yeah. And I, I think too, what, what's so fascinating to me with Kobe is, um, He's kind of in this, you know, he's kind of in the middle of, of MJ and LeBron um, in, in terms of just obviously, you know, generation um, when he was drafted and, and just kind of how his career played out. Uh, but you, you kind of see the two sides of it um, where like MJ, I feel like has the perfect career in terms of like he just has all these flashbulb moments that you can remember um you know whether it's the 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 dunk contest versus dominique or the the shot against cleveland or you know the the 63 in the garden against the celtics or you know his his six championships and the multiple moments you know you know the six threes and a half or the the hand switch midair and just all these kind of iconic moments that i think regardless of who your your goat is or, or who your favorite player is like no one i think can really touch jordan in, in those things um 
And then you kind of had Kobe, who was like the second guy, um, who, and I think a lot of ways, you know, he, like I think that the myths of Kobe, right? Like you, you have all these crazy stories of him training at 4 a.m. and and him doing these unconventional things. Like I think he he was very good at. I mean, like the, the storytelling, right? Like, and that's what he was trying to do post, um, you know, post career. And, and, you know, he, he got an Academy Award and stuff. Uh, but I, I think Co- like Kobe was really good at perpetuating the Kobe kind of narrative, the, the, the Kobe hero's tale, um, you know, and that was part of, you know, the Mamba mentality, all that stuff. Like, I think that really came from him um, more so than, you know, say the, the Jordan stuff kind of came a bit more organically just from people building up Jordan. And then you, you also then kind of had LeBron who I think benefited from the social media era, um, you know, kind of benefited from some of the post Jordan attention um, of just like, who's the next guy. And and, and then LeBron kind of came around and he got a lot of that attention that I I feel like, you know, Kobe probably wanted um, and and like accolades. But I, I think, you know, where I was going with this, not to just kind of incoherently ramble. Like I, I do think Kobe might be the best athlete we've ever seen that was, that was um, able to kind of cultivate this image and brand. And, um, you know, it almost just felt like, you know, this was all like his creation, even, even from the jump where he forced his way to the Lakers um, as a 17 year old. Like I, I think, really the entire time he was kind of creating his own narrative and, and setting, um, you know, just kind of this story arc about him, about his career and, and everything. So I think while, you know, I think Jordan and, and LeBron are, are, you know, people we've always just had interest in from like the, the jump for, for different reasons. I think Kobe really um, just, just set a narrative for himself that I think was really interesting because I, I don't think a lot of people can do that. I think it can come off even the black mama stuff. It was like, he gave himself a nickname and people just accepted it. Like how many athletes could just say like, this is my nickname and, and, you know, ha- have that kind of resonate with everyone to the point where like mama mentality became a thing that people are still referencing today. Um, you know, when they talk about him and stuff. So I just think for him, like his branding, his, his sort of, setting the narrative for him and his career is is just incredible and i think that also kind of took him to another level where again if we're debating historically um where he ranks you know he's probably somewhere in that like seven to twelve range but in in terms a lot of people would put him on par with jordan and lebron i think in part because he set certain narratives for himself that put him on that that kind of you know status where you know, I think those guys didn't have to do that. They kind of had it done for them. Uh, but, but again, I, I think that's just a tribute to Kobe's kind of willpower and, and ability to tell a story uh, that, that really sort of put him on that level, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's transition um, to your piece that uh, I, I don't like the phrase broke the internet, but um, sent uh, the NBA world uh, into a frizzy. Uh, it was also um, when we were, talking about it um i didn't know sam amick was also going to be part of this um so has he gotten i i haven't even asked you about this has he gotten equal pushback has he like how did that work with y'all working on this story simultaneously um it's not i mean yeah i guess um i mean it is different being like the beat writer versus being a national writer Mm -hmm. um 
you know, so there's going to be different. I, I think it, you know, it, 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 a lot of beat coverage tends to be more positive unless you're in like the New York market. <laughs> mm. Um, just because you know you are around Berman's the team, still beating that drum. I think he still <laughs> believes in Steve Mills. I think he's yeah. uh, he's still all in. On, yeah. On the <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you just tend to write more positive stuff. Um, and and look, for the most part, I mean, I, I've written now, I think somewhere around 250 stories for the Athletic about the Clippers over the last year and a half plus, and I would say maybe 10 of them have been somewhat negative. And I, I would include this story on the somewhat negative part. I, I wouldn't even say it was a fully negative story. Um, I think there's just, there's just complex locker room dynamics and it's not necessarily um, unique to the Clippers, right? Like I think you go into any locker room, there's going to be complex locker room dynamics and, you know, certain guys jealous of, of other things that other guys are getting and, um, I, I just think the way it was kind of framed when this team came together, um, you know, both at the introductory press conference for Kawhi and PG and also at media day, it was like, you know, they're, they're joining this scrappy, you know, overachieving underdog core that is like a brotherhood and they're super close and, you know, everything is team first, no egos, all that great stuff. Um, so now you're just going to slide into superstars and it's going to be a seamless fit because everyone's going to accept their role. Everyone's going to accept their playing time. Everyone's going to accept their status within the hierarchy of, of the team and the organization. And that hasn't fully been the case. Um, and you know, it, it hasn't been, we, we brought up the Boston Celtics comparison and we tried to couch it a little bit with saying like, this isn't a full Boston Celtics situation where everyone's me first, me first. Like I need this, I need that. But there are those elements of it where, you know, the Celtics, you had that core that that made a conference finals without their two best players on paper, their two all-stars. And then the next season, you had to reintegrate two all-stars into a group that was kind of like, well, we just, you know, we were going toe-to-toe with LeBron, you know, you know w- w- without these guys. Like, why, you know, why does Kyrie have to start? Why does he have to get the shots? Why is he the all-star? Um, and, and I think... For the Clippers, there's an element of that where it was like, you know, they, they didn't have as much success as the Celtics, but they did push the Warriors to six games, a healthy Warriors team, um, you know, without an all-star, without a superstar. And then now you're adding in a, a couple of guys who are clearly at a different level um, and, and, you know, have been getting some preferential treatment and some j- just kind of you know, things have changed. The dynamics have changed. You know, it's clearly Kawhi and and Paul George's team. They're the superstars. They're the guys who get the credit. Um, They're the guys who get the attention. And I I think, again, it hasn't been as bad as like, say the Celtics were last season, but it's been an adjustment and and there have been some growing pains. There have been some bumps in the road. And I, I think that's what we tried to chronicle was this is what's been going on with the Clippers. This is why they've kind of had some choppy moments on the court and, and, you know, get blown out at home, you know, almost 30 points, you know, to Memphis, Um, you know, barely beat the Knicks and Warriors at home, really have to scrap those games out at the last second. Uh, Like this is what's been kind of going on. And this is why Montrez Harrell came out and made those comments um, that, that to me seemed a little bit deeper than the average post-game frustration comments. You know, it was, you know, what's the mood in the locker room? I don't know. 
and that's a problem, you know, itself. And, um, you know, just calling the team out for their effort, thinking they could just show up, um, you know, saying we're not a great team, you know, we're still adding two guys into the locker. Like he was kind of saying a lot of this stuff publicly, um, yes. you know, and I don't think, and the team didn't love it. And that's why Doc Rivers, you know, lit into him uh, the, the next pregame meeting because he was like, you can't go saying this stuff to the media because that became a national storyline. Like, like we said in our story, I wrote about it. ESPN posted the video and, and wrote about it. Bleacher Report sent out a alert like Montrez Harrell rips the Clippers. Like that was, you know, it, it just happened on a weekend. So it wasn't as big of a story, but it wasn't, you know, 24 hour to, to 48 hour story. And that was kind of the jumping point off for our reporting of like, well, why did Montrez Harrell call it the team? What's going on with the team? Is there something we don't know or, you know, we're kind of missing? Um, and it was just kind of funny to see the reaction from, from some Clipper fans because for two weeks, uh, every day on Twitter, I was getting multiple questions from Clipper fans. What's going on with the team? Is there chemistry issues? Is there cohesion issues? Why, does, why do things seem off? Then I provide them with the story and then they get mad at me. I'm like, oh, you're a traitor. You're a liar. You're making stuff up. And it's like, you guys have been asking for this for two weeks. So here's the story. Here's what's going on. And then people don't want to yeah. hear it. So uh, an interesting moment of, of, you know, I hadn't really got backlash on the story um, to that extent until this story. Um, so it was, it was a nice little slice of humble pie. Uh, but, you know, it, it was just funny to me to kind of see how, like, fans want to hear the truth until they don't. Yeah, I mean, it's why people watch um political programs that fit their narrative right like you it's comfortable like you like you don't want to be challenged and you want to believe what you want to believe um especially the older you get um i do think it's interesting that um it, none of this should be surprising i don't think from an outside observer is if you watch that clippers team last year with shea and landry shamit who were really good together like the numbers backed it up those those two were just really good um Batbev is obviously a part of this. Lou Will was just six man of the year. He's just lighting it up. He was their closing option. And then you had Danilo Gallinari and Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris, um, him and Boban, like the connection there and what Tobias was doing early. That feels like nine years ago when Tobias was like leading as a point forward for the Clippers. Um, <laughs> that was just a much more fun team, but it was also a team that didn't have expectations. And once you add expectations into a locker room where it's like, hey, we have to win a title and uh, either this season or next season, or this is all for nothing. You mortgaged your future to get this guy um, into your organization. They didn't even sign long-term deals. Like they're, they could be gone after two years, which is terrifying. If you're Steve Ballmer and the rest of this front office um, that you couldn't even get them to commit long-term. Um, this is a scary thing. And I can understand why the temperature in the room all the time is through the roof. And I can understand if you're a role player who, pushed the Warriors last year you're like hey we can we're not gonna we weren't gonna win a title but we were really good and we can do more than what we're being given and like they're getting relegated to a to an extent and that's why I think the Lakers seem like they're having more fun um they obviously have a better record right now but like the Lakers none of the none of the reserves none of the role players have any um belief that they could have done what the Clippers did last year where it's like, no, we're just happy to be here. We're happy to play next to Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who are going to make us better, get us another contract, all that kind of stuff. I don't think that same funness exists with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard because it's just they really have to win. And this is something where they've already shown what they can do without them. And that um, 
I, I just, I can understand why these are all unfortunate uh, an- annoyances in that locker room. But it's also like, remember when Lou Williams and who, who else is at the podium just basically advocating and pitching Kevin Durant to be a clipper in that Warrior series? Wasn't it, um, was it Lou and somebody, uh, was it Pat Bev? It was Pat, yeah. Yeah, it was Pat if you go back and listen to well, that press conference, they're just openly just like loving this dude and just being like, he's just the best in the world. We got beat by this insanely great player and blah, blah, blah. Like they were openly advertising for a superstar to come walk through that door and get them back to that contention level. Like I, that is something I think about a lot with them. It's like, you were asking for this. It's the same with, I mean, with the Nets too, with Spencer Dinwiddie being close to Kyrie and bringing him in. It's like, what did you wanted this? You can't, there's no buyer's remorse. If you get into this game and you want to really compete for a title and bring in these top 10 guys, guess what? It's going to be weird. Most of them are mercurial and weird. And I, I don't know. I think none of this is surprising to me. And I, it also doesn't surprise me that there was pushback because it's like, Hey, when you walk on eggshells like this all the time, uh, sounds awful and their their nerves are always just through the roof I, I imagine it would not be fun right now to be in the clippers front office i don't think it'll be fun for the next two years you'll have like one day of funness and that's when you win the title if you do it then you're like okay whew, great did it was it worth it did i cut eight years off my life dealing with all of this yes but at least we won the title that's that's where i'm at with all of them so th- this just brought up three points for me where i think number one I think the, the the whole theme with with this to an extent is like basically as you were saying they they were advocating and and you know if you saw the social reaction no one was happier than Pat Beverly that that they got Kawhi and PG and and Lou and those guys were all in Vegas for summer league and, and they were freaking out and super excited um, but I think it's it's one thing to be cool with it in theory and, and yeah. be excited and then it's another thing to actually do it in practice and, and that's where i think that's where some of the growing pains have been you know i think on paper it was very much yeah great give us two superstars it's going to be great but once you actually deal with it uh you know it, it's a it's a bit different second thing is these aren't normal role players and that's you know that was a common theme i wrote about last season was like the you know if, if you're ranking role players like like Montrez Harrell and Lou Williams think they're all stars. Like, and, and that's not like a, like that's not like a just general like oh self confidence. Like we got to think the best. Like they legitimate. Like they both think they should be on the All Star team. And like Pat Beverly probably thinks he's the best defensive guard in the league, and probably the best three and D guard in the league. And like these guys, if you were ranking all the role players in the league in terms of like self confidence, they're in the top ten of you know you know those three. Michael Green isn't as self-confident, but, but he's, you know, kind of fits last year's, you know, junkyard dog mentality. Um, but I think those three in particular, and those are kind of the three guys we referenced the most in the story, um, you know, they, their self-confidence is, is through the roof. They're in the 1% of that um, in terms of role players. So again, whereas maybe guys with, with the Lakers, guys like Danny Green, KCP, um, I'm not going to give Avery Bradley that credit. Uh, but, but, you know, Crusoe, JaVale, yeah, Yeah. like those types of guys might be a little bit more mild mannered, might be a little bit more humbled with their limitations. I think Lou, Trez and Pat are definitely guys who kind of, you know, view themselves in a certain light, view themselves as maybe being able to do more than they actually can. Uh, so 
I think that's kind of an inherent challenge in all of this is again, it's not like you're not just adding them. into like a normal locker room or a normal kind of role player core. And it also just kind of speaks to, it is, I think it's easier to add in new role players into a kind of pre-existing core than it is to add in superstars, obviously. Right. So like, yep. you know, cause the, the Clippers kind of did usually you kind of do what the Warriors did. You, you draft Steph Curry, you draft Clay Thompson, you draft Draymond Green, and then you you know you sign Andre Iguodala, you, you trade for uh, you know Andrew Bogut, you sign Kevin Durant in free agency. Um, you know the, the Clippers almost did it in the reverse, where they acquired the kind of role player foundation, and then they went out and got the stars. Um, so it, it was a little bit of, of a backward situation where I think that can kind of cause some like I almost think in a way the best case scenario for them last season. Um, or you know, for this season would have been missing the playoffs and, and maybe winning yeah. 40 games or 42 games, not having that kind of um, you know ability to puff their chest out and be like, this is what we did, uh, and, and then kind of adding those guys anyway and, and then kind of entering the season in a different light. I think the third thing too, um, which I haven't talked about yet, is is the load management stuff. And you know, technically it's called injury management because Kawhi, as deemed by league you know does have a, a knee injury that he's dealing with um but i think it also just speaks to a, a difference in ethos where you do have these guys um you know most of last season's core are guys who, who are second round picks guys who have are underpaid guys who have bounced around been traded um you know been on te- you know multiple teams uh so they kind of are coming at it from that like last season's clippers team had a scrap for every single win where you know no matter what, any night that they were going balls to the wall, hundred um, percent. And that was kind of the endearing part of them is like, that was a team that they had multiple comebacks just because they never gave up. Um, you know, they, they you know, they're kind of nicknamed like the comeback Clippers. They had the big comeback in the playoffs. They, they had a, a big comeback post trade in, in Boston. And, you know, that was just kind of the DNA of that team was, you know, until it says zero, zero, zero on the clock, we're going to scrap and claw and fight you. Uh, you know, in, until the game's over. And this year, it's just been a different philosophy. You have Kawhi Leonard, you know, Paul George misses the first month and has now missed almost the last three weeks. Um, you've had a bunch of guys injured in, in and out of the lineup. And then you've had Kawhi Leonard, who has yet to play in a back-to-back and has already missed 11 games. And it's just like, this has been, you know, this has kind of become team load management, team rest, uh, which we kind of knew going into the season. But again, that's a difference for some guys where, you know, you're seeing, I think it's one thing when you kind of, you kind of know what you're getting with Kawhi. You knew he was going to rest 10 to 15 games, you know, maybe 20. And that was just kind of par for the course, but it's different when you have Paul George and Lou Williams out because they're both injured. And then you see Kawhi Leonard resting. And it's just kind of like, I, I think that has kind of rubbed some guys the wrong way. And, now I think there's there's a level of, and this of happened ignor- in Toronto we should mention too. Yes, and, and this, this is all piece. stuff that yeah. that happened in Toronto. Now I would say there's there there's an element of ignorance. I think where a lot of guys just view load management or injury management again, whatever you want to call it, um, in the, the incorrect light because Kawhi Leonard, as we reported, is on doctor's orders not to play back to backs. Like this is not some Kawhi Leonard is choosing to. He's not like, oh, I want to be, you know, have more energy for the playoffs. It's if I play in a back-to-back, I could potentially re-injure this or, you know, aggravate it more. 
and be out for the playoffs, in which case, you know, nothing matters for the Clippers if Kawhi Leonard isn't playing. So right. I do think there's like an element of because if you just see the public comments from players uh, about load management, it's very anti load management because it's all like, I would never, you know, sit out a game. I would never rest. You know, I'm, I'm going to play they through things. Kawhi's injury. They don't know. Exactly. And I, I think that yeah. that's where I, I think some of the ex, like. The explanation, there's still a, a kind of misinformation on Kawhi's situation and Kawhi's injury that people just look past. Like, it's again, it's not like the guy is just sitting games out. He's, right. he, he, you know, it, it's, you know, medically, you know, medically cleared through the league and, you know, medically uh, advised from his doctors that he cannot play back to back. So I, I just think that's also Can been I like a tension one point thing here. Yeah, no. So this is something where being the quiet leader, backfires right where like if Kawhi was forthcoming about all of this if he imagine if he just talked about this openly he he did a piece he talked with you about it where he sat down he's like hey i really want to talk about what's going on with my knee and this is why the doctor said i can't do this this is why i can't play him back to back this is also it would be a good way of putting pressure on the league of like hey get rid of back to backs stop it this is like it's you one of your five best players physically can't do them and if he like illustrated what was going on and was more transparent about the knee stuff because when it comes to the team and things like that people just believe what they want to believe but if it like comes directly from Kawhi, where he's like my knee is this is what my knee is and this is why i can't do this i would love to be able to play 82 games i would i and he could point he could go back um to his san antonio days where he was playing a lot more and just talk about that and what he learned in san antonio about uh, injury management and things like that. Like, I think if he was more open to the media and more open to you and everybody else about like what's actually going on instead of like lurking in the shadows, then I think a lot of this would be resolved. That's just something I've been thinking about too. I don't know if that's right, but that's, that's where I'm at with it. I, I think you make a good point. Um, he's just obviously not not that type of guy. Um, you know, if you, if you just look at, and I'm just going off of this season. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that he's done one-on-one interview with anybody. Uh, I want to say he, he did one right before the season with Chris Haynes. And since then, I, I don't think he's done a one-on-one. Uh, maybe he did like an ESPN interview um, that, that I'm forgetting, but um, I mean, it's just, this is not, this is not how he operates, right? It's, it's right. not, you know, the, the type of guy he is. So I do, I do agree. Like, I think it would be great if it came from him. Heck, even if it was like a player's tribune thing where it's just like, this is what's going on with me. And he doesn't even have to talk to a a media member if he really doesn't want to. Um, But yeah, no, I I think there's a lot of misinformation. I, I don't think it's necessarily helping the perception around him, especially because you see too, like people in the media, um, you know, it's not just, it's not just the players who sometimes public like, cause I, I think that the problem for him that, that which is why I think he, he probably should address it is like, he's become the face of load management. Like anytime mm-hmm. people talk about load management, even if they're not saying Kawhi, the, you know, they're dancing around the topic. Like they're basically talking about Kawhi, uh, which is why, you know, the Clippers and, and doc have, have kind of taken some uh, offense to some of LeBron's comments because Le- LeBron hasn't called out Kawhi directly, but, some of his comments 
have basically been shots at anyone who does load management, which when you he know, takes you, off January, you take that. Like that. It's like, well, yeah, yeah. when he goes on a two week sabbatical to Miami, yeah. but, um, but yeah, so I think for Kawhi, like it's not just, you know, the sort of the, the perception and, and some of the players saying stuff, it's the media, like it's inside the NBA saying stuff. It is people on ESPN saying stuff. It is, um, you know, Nick Wright and, and different people who have platforms that, are kind of perpetuating this notion that Kawhi is, is willfully resting games that I think if he just came out and shut that down one time and kind of explained it, even though like I've, you know, I've tried to explain it. Like Sam and I also reported a story on load management in, back in early November, um, trying to kind of lay out what's going on. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've written about it multiple times this season. Um, you know, for there was like a two week stretch there where that, that's all, anyone wanted to talk to me about on radio interviews and podcasts and stuff. Um, so I, I think, you know, I just think it'd be great, you know, to your point, like if he just came out and kind of shut it down, like, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what's happening. That's it. Um, and I know again, he's private. He doesn't like talking about this stuff. He didn't even want, I mean, that's why the, the Clippers ended up getting fined is because, you know, he didn't want his injury out there and they were trying to respect that. Uh, but, but then the league had to come out and kind of announce like, no, this is, um, you know, this is the injury. Uh, because there was just so much going on. Is he healthy? What's going on? And then Doc had some comments that got them fined. And so it's been a bit of a messy situation. It's it's calmed down since the beginning of the season. But I, I do think it, it'd be great if he just kind of cleared the air and and just moved on. Like after, once once he addresses it once, it, it's over. You don't have to talk about it anymore. Um, it's out there, and, and I think people will care about other stuff. But as long as it kind of sits in this like murky zone. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of speculation and, and just continued misinformation about it. Yeah. And then you feel less and less um, obliged to defend him where you're like, dude, this is like, if I'm the Clippers, if I'm Lawrence Frank, I'm just doing what I can. Uncle Dennis, get him to talk, do whatever you got to do. Just get one time, just get out in front of that. It would solve a lot of our problems internally. Um, and just our perception around the league. And then you think about the other stuff, which is that, this hasn't affected them at all on the court. Like none of this has really buoyed them at all. Like they're still the record with Paul George and Kawhi on the floor. Very good. They, you could easily see them winning the title when they're all healthy and come playoff time. The switch might get turned on. I think they're fourth in offense and sixth in defense right now. They're a title team. Like none of this is like really wrecked them. They might not be having as much fun as they did a season ago, but like once they, put on their suit and go to work they just forget all of this and they're like oh right we're just all really good basketball players and it's gonna be really hard to beat us in a seven game series and i wonder does it do you think that is something that they can just do come playoff time i think it is and i don't it, it's kind of depressing that i think that players are able to do that and that this league that you're going to be able to do that but i that's kind of my my feeling right now is that my gut's telling me that this is just a team that's going to figure it out come playoff time and they're going to be fine. They're going to play more. Kawhi's minutes will be up. Paul George's minutes will be up and they'll, they'll make it through. And I wonder how freshing that's got to be for some guys where it's like, this is just weird. If you're a fan, you're a sports fan, you look at how this dynamic works and you just see that they're able to do that. Um, I don't know. I think it's, it's fascinating. The human mind, you can uh, (laughs) just drop all of it and go win a title. Well, and and that's why I reject the premise that this isn't that, you know, the story we wrote is negative because as we tried to highlight, 
like w- with Kawhi, you know, this this team um, at, at the time we wrote the story, you know, was on a 63 win pace when Kawhi played and a 64 win pace when Kawhi and Paul George played together. As you mentioned, you know, they've been top seven in offense and defense for basically the last, you know, three quarters of the season. Um, they started defensively kind of bad. And then since then, they've been like consistently at the top five defense. So, and that, that was the other thing is, you know, it's the reason this isn't the Boston Celtics situation is because this team's better than the Boston Celtics. Um, you know, whether or not they should be, right? Because that, that Boston team, I think people, I mean, Bill Simmons had the 67 and 15, you know, prediction. And that was supposed to be a loaded team. Like, this team is not underachieved to that extent. Um, and, and I think that, that's next. what's so interesting with, with this, you know, situation is like they have been so good. Uh, now, I would, and then as, as we also, reported like since that memphis game there's been kind of a galvanizing moment you know that was kind of a galvanizing moment where um you know the the team some some of the key figures on the team had a three-hour film session with doc rivers which kind of became a meeting an airing of grievances a sort of like yo let's we got to hit the reset button a little bit here and, and kind of get back on the same page and then since then they've had multiple players only film sessions um in which, you know, players have held each other accountable of, hey, you missed the defensive rotation here. Like, hey, you could have made that extra pass. And I think that's that's been something that's that's really brought them closer together, where, you know, Doc even said, I wish I had implemented this with previous teams because, you know, just in this short amount of time, I've already seen how much the team has grown from having these kind of, you know, sessions and, and, and letting them kind of handle it themselves versus inserting the coaches and then the video scouts and, and player development people and all that stuff. They've almost, you know, it, it's almost a little Phil Jackson-esque of, of just, hey, like you guys figure it out on your own um, and kind of, you know, come to your own solution as a group versus me telling, like, I don't need to tell you guys what you did wrong. You should know what you did wrong. Um, and so I, I think since then, I mean, now I, I will throw in the caveat that, um they have had a pretty easy schedule. Uh, so like, you know, be, you know, I, again, post Memphis, you know, some of the wins were like, you know, beating the Knicks, beating the Warriors, beating the Pelicans, beating, uh, like the magic beating, um, the Cavs. So like they, they've had, it's not like they've been playing, you know, they were supposed to play the Lakers. Obviously that game's postponed, but like, it's not like they've been playing the Rockets and the Nuggets and the jazz and, and the Celtics and the Raptors. And like, they're beating all these good teams. Like, They've been beating some, you know, a lot of under 500 teams, but you can only control your schedule. You know, you can't control your schedule. You can only control what's in front of you. So I will say, like, they are trending in the right direction. Um, it, it is unfortunate that we're not going to get to see them play the Lakers until later because I, I think that would have been a really fascinating game to kind of just see the barometer of where they're at and, and how much they're on the same page or, or how much is it just them, again, playing, like, a little bit of an easier schedule. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, like they're probably going to make. I think they're going to make a move at the deadline. It'll probably be a minor move, um, but I do think they're going to look to address a weakness or two. Uh, and then after that, it's going to be the roster that they have, and, and then they'll probably be a top three seed, if not top two, and, and head into the playoffs and at least make the conference finals. So this is by no means a dire situation. That's not what we're trying to, you know, paint that picture. It was just more of. These are some of the issues the team's going through. And if they do not reach their potential, if they do lose in the second round, if they lose in the first round, if if they can't beat the Lakers, 
these might be some of the issues that are going on internally that kind of undermine them. Well, that uh, begs the question. Montrezl, free agent after this year. They're probably best trade ship because I don't think they would move um, Lou Williams. But uh, do you think he's gone? Especially when you put in context of his early season comments. Do you think they're... Because it doesn't seem like he's likely to get paid by the Clippers this summer. Um, what, what is your gut telling you on what happens with Harrell? Uh, it's, it's a tough one. So I, I think... I do not think he's going to be back next season. Um, I, I think that I'm, and, and this is not even from talking to the team. It's just me reading the tea leaves and, and you know, it's pure speculation. But I, I just think if you look at the way the roster is set up moving forward with the amount of money Kawhi and PG are going to make, if you're going to pay someone as much as I've heard he could get, which I've heard is, is, you know, upwards of 25 million a year. Like he's probably going to get, I mean, like if you actually look at the free agent class, like Montrez Harrell is not only a top 10 free agent, but he's like a borderline top five free agent. And now there isn't that much money. It, it is a little bit of a down free agent class, not only in terms of talent, but in terms of just overall like cap space. Um, oh, the Hawks are ready. So I, I get, yeah, I mean like you got, I think, I think some teams where he, he makes some sense, like you got the Hawks, um, you, you got the, the the Hornets, who I think can, can just use oh, a God. good player. Um, you got the Grizzlies, potentially, depending on how they view his fit with Jaron Jackson um, and what happens with Alan Tunis. Um, you, you got the the, you know, the Suns, potentially, depending on how they view him and Aiton. You got the Mavericks, who, um, you know, Woj and, and, and Zach Lowe, when, when they did their special um point almost two months it was back in december um they, they threw out trez to the mavericks as a possibility and just saying that dallas wants like another you know kind of big man next to porzingis and, and now with the dwight how uh, dwight powell uh you know the dwight powell stuff um it's kind of like you know i i really like dwight powell i think he and porzingis fit well together but with him now being out probably all of next season if not most of it you probably do need another big guy in there. And, and maybe that's Willie Cauley-Stein and maybe that's kind of the solution. But I could see, you know, it seems like Dallas is always going for a center every off season for like the last 10 summers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would not surprise me if they threw. And, and just thinking about how good Trez is in the pick and roll, imagine a Trez-Luca pick and roll with Porzingis spacing the floor, popping, um, or like, you know, four or five doubles ball screen for Luca, and then you got again like Trez rolling and and uh Porzingis popping like that would be pretty damn hard to defend and if you're looking to play a big next to Trez Porzingis is the perfect big because you want a guy who could space the floor offensively since Trez doesn't really have range and then you want a rim protector kind of defensive anchor type which Porzingis is still kind of developing into but you know, is, is better than Trez at that. So I, I think Trez and, and Porzingis would fit really well together. You know, it's going to be a money thing, obviously, of, of how Dallas views it. But I don't think he's back next season. I, I just think, again, you know, if, if Kawhi and PG resign in 2021, you're going to have almost $80 million, um just to those two guys. So if you're paying, you know, a third guy 20 to $25 million, you better be damn sure he can be your number three guy. And I just don't know if Trez is 
that level. I, I think he's he's really good. I think he he could start for probably half the league, even though he does have some limitations as a six foot seven center. Um, I, I just don't know when you look at some of the recent like super teams or just really you know high level teams. Is he on the level of a Clay Thompson, a Kevin Love? Um, no, uh, I can't like, that one. You know, like a, a Chris Bosh. <laughs> no, he, he's not. So, you know, and, and you, you, I mean, I, like, I, would, I don't even know if he's number four in a championship team. Like maybe that's yeah. his upside is like a number four. Now, this team is interesting because you could probably make the case he's a number three. Like I would say he's been better than Lou Williams this year overall. Um, you know, most people will probably put Lou ahead of him. So maybe he's the number four on this team. Uh, so who knows? Maybe they won a title and they just decide to run it back. Uh, I, I just think, you know, this team is going to run into some, you know, cap issues down the road. Like already you have Mo Harkless and Jermichael Green as free agents. Um, if you re-sign Trez, I think there's a decent chance both of those guys are gone. So now you're losing some depth. You're going to have some exceptions and stuff. But then the summer after that, you're, you're going to have, you know, Kawhi, PG, and Lou all as free agents. And then you're going to have to make some, obviously Kawhi and PG, they're going to try to resign. But like, you know, does Lou kind of say, I'm, I'm done taking discounts, like give me my 15, 17 million a year. Like, like how does he feel about things? Um, then you're going to have eventually Landry Shamit coming into, you know, restricted free agency. I think Landry's a guy who could get 10 well, to 12 million is if he develops the right way that he's the one that you make you pay a lot of money to like he's the third guy I no think yeah so I, I think like I, I think basically where i was going with the, with the trust i was like i think he can be the number three or four on, on like this team because this team is 10 11 deep and might even potentially get deeper if they could sign andre Gudala on like the buyout market so like in the context of a super deep team i think trez can be that three or four guy but i i I don't expect the Clippers two years from now to be as deep as this year's team. I, I could be wrong. You know, they could find a way to reload and, and find some depth. But um, I, I do expect with how expensive the, the team is going to eventually get, they're going to have to have a lot of minimum guys and, and a lot of just – and we've seen, you know, even w- with the Warriors, with the Cavs, when you have three or four really expensive guys – it can be really hard to find those minimum guys, you know, f- for cheap that, that really help. Like that was really what decimated the warriors the last like kind of couple years of that dynasty was like, you know, that the first two, first two years before KD, um, they were, you know, as deep as any team in the league, they, they want a solid, you know, strength in numbers, 10, 11 deep. Then you get KD, then you lose a little bit of that depth. Now you're nine deep. And then the last couple of years of KD, they were kind of like seven and a half, eight deep. So I, I just think, you know, maybe you, you you put more trust in the Clippers front office because they, they've done a lot of good stuff the last couple of years and, and really rebuilt this team on the fly. But I, I just think eventually this team is going to lose the depth. It's going to come down to who are your seven or eight guys. And if, if you're really rolling with Trez as your third guy, I have some concerns. I, I, I don't know how great of a fit he is with Kawhi and with PG. Um, so I do think he's going to be gone next season. Now, the question is, do you trade him? The issue is he's only making $6 million. So it's going to be very hard to get equal value for him unless you package him with a Mo Harkless who's making 11 with maybe a, you know, try to get Jerome Robinson in there or a Rodney Magruder to maybe some salary filler to get that up to about 20 million. You also have your 2020 first round pick. You have a couple of future Detroit second round picks, which 
how that's going. It looks like those will be like top 40 picks most likely. Um, you know, so those are kind of valuable second round picks. So the Clippers do have some assets. I think they can get into that $20 million range where maybe you can get, um, you know, a high level guy to kind of step in and replace Trez. But I think it's a delicate balance where if you are trading three or four guys and getting one guy back, you're losing some depth and, and maybe that player is good enough that, you know, he overcomes that and it doesn't really matter. But I do think this team is kind of set up to, to really have waves of guys to throw at people, you know, waves of, of defenders, wave, you know, waves of lineups um, that, that really makes them unique compared to some of the other contenders in the league. So I think they're trying to find that balance of like, how can we, you know, if we do flip Trez, how can we still maintain our depth, still maintain what gives us an edge over other teams um, without changing that too much? So I guess if you, if you, you know, uh, metaphorical gun to my head, I would say he does not get traded. It, it wouldn't surprise me if he gets traded. I, I just think it's too hard with, with how little money he's making. Um, but I, I do think he signs elsewhere this summer. Um, you know, maybe they do a sign and trade, maybe they re-sign him and flip him later, but I, I would be surprised if like by the trade deadline of 2021, he's still in the Clippers. Um, can we talk about Bradley Beal for a second? Yeah. Bradley Beal has had a very weird January. And I, I say that because Bradley Bill quotes in January could not be farther from each other. Um, so January 16th, he loses at home to the Bulls, uh, his team, excuse me. And he said, quote, I don't like losing, so it's going to keep blowing up for me until we start winning and changing our culture. Winning games, have it that winning attitude, winning habits, just ripping into the organization and the team as a whole. Um, January 26th, I'm the franchise here. Okay, I don't understand what Bradley Beal is getting at. I don't understand what Bradley Beal really wants. I don't understand why Bradley Beal is frustrated because Bradley Beal knew when he signed that two-year extension that this was going to be a terrible basketball team, especially with John Wall out. He knew that it was going to be a very young team. He knew it was going to be a hodgepodge of role players. He knew all of this, and he is going back and forth. He seems like a person or a, a player that is just very unsure of who he is in this league and who he is on this team and i i'm fascinated fascinated by the subplot we saw this on a much more serious and unfortunate stage with kevin love in cleveland earlier this year but like these really good players that lock into really good contracts on bad teams that they know are going to be bad um and then complaining after the fact i'm worried that that is a troubling trend in this league. And I wonder if this is one of those pitfalls of teams having that extra year to offer guys and bad organizations, just giving rewarding bad organizations to be able to keep these guys in there longer. But like Bradley Beal's 26 majority of the guys playing, he's playing with are a lot younger than that. He like quote tweeted JJ Reddick's uh, yelling at the cloud. Um, old man yells at cloud stuff. And I, I don't know. He seems unhappy. And a lot of these guys who get locked into bad teams for the next few years uh, are immediately unhappy because they, they want to win. They've been in the league eight years, whatever it is, for Beal. And he's like, yeah, I'm good. I'd, I'd rather just play with other veterans who are also good and start playing meaningful playoff basketball games because he's also in the playoffs early on in his career. And he and Wall pushed the Raptors when they were one seeds years ago. And um I don't know. He was part of that five-man unit that was wrecking the league with Gortat and Morris and uh, Porter and him and Wall, and now it's all gone, and he's having to be part of this rebuild. And it's it's goes back to our, everything's full circle on this podcast, Yovan, because it uh, it 
it reminds me of um what we were talking about with the clippers where everything just it comes full circle here in that like it sounds good in theory bradley beal was like yeah i'll be the franchise guy here why not i'll, I'll take the mantle i'll lead dc and then he plays 50 games it's like oh shit this really sucks i hate all of this and i'm locked into this contract i think it's another case of theory versus reality yeah i i i couldn't agree more i mean i, I think this almost could be its own podcast of like these examples because I, I just think this speaks to the supermax and the misfiring of it of like you know it was implemented to um kind of prevent these types of situations and i, I know not all these situations are supermax related but um i mean i think you even have the the, the charlotte situation where um it's like almost the the opposite where they did not I mean, that's, I think it's mismanagement of anything with, with Charlotte, but you know, they didn't view Kemba as a supermax guy. They didn't think there was any way he was going to make, um, I forgot what Mitch said, like the all-star team or the all NBA team, I think it was all NBA. And once he did, and they were kind of tasked with, are we going to pay him this much or are we going to let him walk, lose him for nothing and, you know, end up having to pay overpay Terry Rozier, who's worse than the, the backup point card that they have um, like, you know, that's kind of the, the downside of it where it, it, you know, the, the, the two downsides or two of the downsides, cause I think there's multiple just are, you, you get Charlotte in that position of like, do we pay Kemba? Are we really going to commit to being a team that can't even make the playoffs and, and really paying this guy as that number one option? Or, you know, do you end up in a, in a Washington Cleveland situation where you do pay the guy, but then he immediately is unhappy, kind of holds you hostage is now becoming a little bit of a distraction in the media. And now you have to deal with all this stuff while kind of having a little bit of a compromised asset, at least with Kevin love, it is like, no one wants to, I mean, I mean, like Kevin loves trade value is probably not as high as his caliber of play. It's just like, you're looking at the, the the future years of that contract and you're like, I don't want to pay that. And it was like similar to Chris Paul. I think Chris Paul has kind of exceeded those expectations in OKC, but you're still kind of like, you know, two, three years down the road. Do you still want to be paying him, you know, 40 plus million? Um, you know, maybe this season you do, but what about next season? What about the season after? So I do think the league is going to have to some, you know, figure something out with the next CBA with some of this stuff, because trying to give, the small markets and advantage I think has backfired a bit and it has created a lot more drama, a lot more movement. Um, and, and it has not worked the way it was intended to work. Um, and I really think it just speaks to the whole player, you know, the whole player empowerment era guys are going to do what they want. So, you know, really these like Bradley Beal, Kevin love incidents are guy takes the most money he can get. And then guy isn't happy and, and you know is trying to force his way out and i think you, i think you know we just have to look at it that way of like if Giannis doesn't want to stay in milwaukee you can pay him as much as you, you want but he you know he's either going to force his way out anyway or just leave in free agency or he's going to take the money and then try to force his way out like you know i think we have to look at it in a more realistic lens versus just saying like oh well if we give a, a guy you know a certain amount more money he's just going to be happy and stay in the place it's like no like that era is over that that things yeah. have changed guys are going to force their way out guys are always going to do what's best for them 
you know, the, the Damian Lillards are, are a rare breed. Um, you know, the Steph Curry's like those guys are, are kind of not going to be, I think the norm moving forward. So, um, I just think, yeah, the, the leagues, I don't know what the solution is. I, you know, I, that's, that's probably above my, um, you know, IQ. I don't know how to figure that out, but, um, I do think it's clear that this system is not working. It, it's only leading to more departures, more drama, more just kind of side stuff that I don't think the league really loves. Um, like I don't think they love this Kevin Love stuff, but yeah, they, they got to figure it out. But I just think the current system is, is not working. Jovan, we have to we have to end here. We could talk basketball all day, but uh, you have to go. Um, I appreciate the time as always. Yes, sir. Um, we can read you on theathletic.com. Um, tell people anything else that we need to check out from Jovan Bua this week or in general. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Jovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. Uh, check me out on The Athletic. Check out my podcast, Clip City Podcast on The Athletic. Also Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And yeah, that's uh, I mean, it's been a weird, weird week. Uh, going to be weird to be we're going to be, you know, the Clippers are going to be at Staples Center the first game post this whole situation tomorrow against the Kings. So interested to see the turnout and kind of what happens and, and how they honor Kobe. But um, yeah, it's, it's been a rough few days. Um, looking forward to uh, getting back to basketball, though. And, and I, I think that's what uh, that's what Kobe would want, as everyone's kind of said, like, you know, he, he would want people to play the game would, would want. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Lakers are going to talk in 30 minutes, then they have their game Friday. So I think that's it's definitely going to be the story for the rest of the week and, and probably the foreseeable future. All right. Well, go do that. Um, Jovan, always a pleasure, sir. And we will we will talk again soon. Sounds good. All right. That'll do it for today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. Thank you uh, to the wonderful guests for coming on today's show. Thank you. Uh, to my wonderful listeners for listening to today's episode. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Um, if you like today's episode, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple. It would be great. Um, it helps the show continue to grow, and I would very much appreciate it. Uh, you can also support the show on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Um, for as little as $5 a month, it helps the show keep the lights on. So that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chase com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need. Um, and all of my writing that, uh, I'm doing fairly often these days, um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But, uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.